All right, dude, so we just got out of movie May. And to continue with uh, a little bit of a film-centric discussion, let's shift everything over to the soundtracks. And you know, we've kind of discussed off-air before that like, when we were younger, it was like a big deal for an artist to be on a movie soundtrack. Why do you think that is? I, you know, I, I think there's there's kind of two main reasons um, when we were younger. And it's it sort of feels like some of our, you know, it, especially if it's attached to like a big time, like summer blockbuster type movie. Um, it, it kind of feels like our favorite, some of our favorite acts are like kind of getting recognized, if that makes sense. Like it's, it's like, it's like, holy shit. Um, you know, Green Day's attached to this movie. Like that's incredible. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And then like, and then conversely, it can it can also be like oh, holy shit u2 is doing a song for this for this movie interesting right. like it, it just either way no matter how you how no matter how you fit the puzzle pieces it's almost like it's almost like there's one one entity or the other is bigger is bigger and it makes it seem more interesting and more important dude you're so right on that like when I was younger, I used to get like just so intrigued at the idea of a band being attached to a movie soundtrack. And usually it meant you got a really cool fucking video to go along with it that had like some, you know, some kind of flair from the movie, like the U2 Hold Me, Thrill Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me video from Batman Forever. And actually like the, the Seal video too, you know, you got to see clips of the movie and it was it's just something really fucking awesome. For, mm-hmm. Like bands that we liked to be a part of and stuff you know and like the way that um like the the way that all the the marketing and everything like that with movies like it just seems like when we were younger that having a badass artist like associated with your soundtrack was just like this extra cherry on the top as far as like getting you into the theater or maybe getting you to like go buy the soundtrack and stuff mm-hmm. you know like when are they going to play the song all that kind of stuff dude so like yeah it was like it was like a really freaking big deal when when we were younger like do you, do you feel that it's as big a deal today as when we were younger oh, for an artist to end not, on the soundtrack? not at all not at all and i think I think this is in part. I, I, I kind of think it was things were already headed this way, but I also think this is in part because of Marvel. Um, to, to blame another thing on Marvel, but I'm actually I'm actually kind of okay with it in this case. This is actually something that I'm fine with um, because, like, once once we know, you know, once we get past Iron Man, which obviously went ahead and carried the song Iron Man um, in, uh, you mm-hmm. know, it was featured. I feel like it was featured in the trailer, but it's like at the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, when they're you know when they're doing the credits and shit. Um, but once we know that there's actually going to be like this MCU, like we know that it's taking shape, you know, a couple years later, that we we kind of were like, you know what? Let's not worry about this. Let's not worry about adding song. I mean, obviously there's still like big time songs and these soundtracks and stuff, but it's definitely Marvel emphasizes score over the soundtrack, mm-hmm. and right. like everyone knows that fucking the Avengers theme. Everyone knows you know, the Black Panther theme. Um, maybe the only the only kind of outlier, and I would say it's simply because of like the because of the comics background, and it makes perfect sense. Guardians of the Galaxy is like the the one sort of exception where you get all the seventies music, but like right. that that that's like that's like the complete outlier. And even then, they have their own theme. So like <laughs> Marvel sort of makes it more about the score, which in terms of movies, I'm significantly more in favor of than a soundtrack anyway. Yeah, my 38-year-old version of myself is now leaning towards the scores as well. Um, In the soundtrack world of today, 
I got to tell you, like, I'm going to be 100% honest with you. This is the hipster crotchety me coming out here. The, the songs for these soundtracks just aren't as good as like what we had growing up, mm-hmm. you know, and like, like whether it's that Imagine Dragons song from the Suicide Squad or it's really the only soundtrack well, song I can kind of name off the top of my head. Oh, uh, like, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that uh, the one from that movie that gets played a lot is that Rick Ross Skrillex song. That's actually not too bad. Okay. Um, but that Suicide Squad was a marketing campaign and a soundtrack and pretty much nothing else. Yeah, that, that's yeah, that's exactly right. Because like they're so the interesting thing with Suicide Squad was when you're in the movie experience, it's like watching a Scorsese movie where it's like, you know, 150, 30 seconds of songs like from from classic rock stuff. And then there's singles from the soundtrack that are more like modern and everything. And like, I, you know, I keep going back to because the, the suicides, the suicide squad, the, the first one is going to be a movie that is just talked about for the rest of time. I mean, there's so mm-hmm. much to learn and take away from this movie yep. uh, in terms of a lot of things. But um, it was just one of these things like the, the music doesn't hit me the way that it used to. And like, I mean, I'm not necessarily like the biggest Imagine Dragons fan, but I noticed that I really don't give a shit when somebody like is on a soundtrack. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't register with me anymore. And the only time that like a soundtrack registers with me is when and it's not like I'm going out and listening to it either. I just happen to like have a conscious awareness of the soundtrack is when like these juggernauts of film that also have this kind of knack for music that, um, that people will, you know, like that uh, critics and kind of the, the audiences give them is like Tarantino and Paul Thomas Anderson, like when their movies come out and like, you know, when like the once upon a time in Hollywood soundtrack came out, you would have fucking thought that like everybody in the world was getting introduced to Paul Revere and the Raiders and some of those other um, artists that were on there. Mm -hmm. And like, but I feel that like, they're not necessarily interested in the fact that this is a soundtrack. I think that they're more interested in the fact that Tarantino likes these songs. He put them in their movie. Therefore, like I should like these songs too. And uh, like, or some type of like logic like that, like nobody's really going in. No one's like liking these songs because of their merit. They're liking it because it's attached to this particular mm-hmm. property. I gotcha. Where, yeah. Whereas before I feel that like people were like, even though it is attached to a property, people are more rushing towards some of these soundtrack songs. Cause they were, they were just like better in general and stuff, you know, mm-hmm. like the, um, Going back to like you two's hold me, throw me, kiss me, kill me, like that song in and out of itself is like better than a lot of like specific for the soundtrack songs that have been recorded in the last like you know ten or fifteen years, and like even mm-hmm. like the um the James Bond theme, um which I know it's not like a soundtrack, but the different art those have kind of like gone downhill to a certain extent, you know, like Billy Eilish did like the last one and that might be like one of the better ones. Like the, the Sam Smith one was nothing to get excited about. Mm. So I, like, I'm pretty sure Billy Eilish won an Academy Award for that. She did. Yes. Yeah. You bet. And Adele's Skyfall was actually not bad either. That was mm. actually a pretty decent one too. But so I just think that like, you know, it's just not like, it's just not a super thing anymore. We're going to get to like some stuff with the score here. So I'm going to try to like, you know, put a cap on this, but like I am leaning more towards 
the score nowadays and some of the romance with the soundtrack to a movie is just not what it used to be for me. Yeah, no, I, I would 100% agree. And I think, I think, um, I think we're also finding out that like that, that just feels like a, um, that just feels like a, a pop culture relic. Like mm-hmm. it just, you know, it's, it's, it, it, I, I would love to find like the first movie that really sort of, um, that really sort of hit like all of their songs on a soundtrack. And yeah. cause I'm sure, I'm sure as soon as that happened with one summer blockbuster, every, every studio was like, well, fuck, we, we right. have to get whoever the top acts are. We have to make sure we get them for this, for this soundtrack. And I, I don't know exactly when it exactly, I mean, it hasn't stopped. Obviously, we we still have plenty of these, like you said, like the, you know, the whether you know James Bond theme or like that that Pharrell Williams song that's stuck in everyone's head for a while is from a movie. Happy, yeah, um, yeah. that's from a movie. Um, you know, even as even as late as um, even as you know early two thousands, you had um, Smash Mouth with Shrek, mm-hmm. um, sort of kind of blowing up. So like, I mean, obviously it hasn't gone away. I just think that like they would rather probably probably there's probably a couple things behind it one spending the money for some of these songs when you can right. when you can just have a composer score it which i have right. to imagine is cheaper and easier it's got to be like it's probably just paying a guy one lump sum of money up front you don't have to hunt down rights you don't have to make contacts with all these other people's agencies and representations and stuff and even if you get lucky and like let's just say like a bunch of songs maybe under the ownership of like one particular label or music group or whatever mm-hmm. you're still filing a lot of fucking paperwork and like um Jess and I took this like kind of writer's class like uh, during the, the the pandemic and stuff. And one of the, the teacher of it is this guy named Brent Forrester, who was a head writer on The Office. Mm. And he said that like for them to even get like snippets of some of those songs, it was like 30 grand minimum for them to get like a, <laughs> a snippet of a song. You know, I can So I can't even imagine like what it would be like to get a whole song, put it onto the soundtrack and then like then like, God, let's even fucking figure out the royalties and the payments and all that stuff on the back end. It's just gotta be a nightmare. Yeah, probably. Um, and, <laughs> and, and, and again, I really think it's, I think it's to the most movies benefits to have a great score versus having, a, I mean, definitely it's most movies benefits, have a great score versus a great scout, a great soundtrack. Yeah. I think it's a little bit more, um, it makes the movie a little bit, and it gives the movie a little bit more of an identity when you're going with the score than just basically picking a, a playlist of really popular songs mm. to uh, put it put into the movie for sure. And we'll get to the scores. We will get to the scores here. But before we do that, um, how do you think a good soundtrack can enhance the experience of a film? I see. I don't think it can, and simply because like I can separate them completely. Like I, I suppose you can have like a good song drop at the right moment but mm-hmm. but like for the most part you know let's you know take like a movie soundtrack for the most part you're only going to hear one or two songs maybe three right. or four that like actually pop up in the in the movie itself and you know usually it's let's just say it's like four songs actually pop up in a movie um two of them are, are going to be um two of them are going to be source music so mm-hmm. in other words they're actually you know the, the people in the movie are actually going to be listening to it um, right. You know whether it's you know they're in their car or whatever they're in a department store. So you're going to hear like two of those songs as source music, and then the other two are just going to be music over top of something. That's, you know, over a sequence. But mm-hmm. like the other ten on the album, they're not there. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, you're 100% right on this. Um, I kind of view the soundtrack in the movie. I, I feel that like the soundtrack does the same thing a score would do. The only time that like the music really enhances the what I'm watching is when it happens to be like a song that I'm familiar with that's like used at an appropriate time. Like there's a couple of scenes, like one, just the first one that comes to my mind is off of the show called Legion. And then the last, um, the last like five minutes of like, I think episode six, seven on um, the first season, they used this Radiohead song called the daily mail, which, um, was unique to me because this was a song that really only existed in a certain pocket of like Radiohead culture. It was never on a studio release. It was just on this live recording and they put it into this show and I thought it was cool, but I, you know, like it's one of these things that like I look at and I'm like, yes, this is awesome. Would I be as moved if it was maybe another song I was familiar with? Yeah. Like, would it, would I also have think positive thoughts if this was just the score done really well? Like, yeah. So a lot of the things that like a soundtrack is going to do, a score is also going to do, but the score gives the product a little bit more of an identity. Yeah. I, 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 that's exactly how I view it. And that's, and that's why even movies with kind of robust soundtracks still have scores. Yeah, that's right. Yes, exactly. Yes, you got that fucking right. Definitely. So really quickly, um, just a recommendation of a movie with a great soundtrack that you like. I'm going to go a little off the wall here, but I think this still counts. Um, back in the day, the and you can you can buy these as DVDs or I think they're I think you can rent them too. Um, NFL Films, baby. Sam Spence. Yeah. Um, the the music that I will forever associate with football is mm-hmm. is Sam Spence's music. It is it is I mean like even songs that aren't about like I mean, you know, th- there's a couple a couple of teams actually have songs. Like one of my favorites of all time is The Raider. Is mm-hmm. one of the greatest songs. I mean it's totally about the then Oakland Raiders, but it's just an awesome sort of it's just the it's the quiet voice over from I can't remember who who used to do the voice for it. it Might have been Sam Spence himself. But it's just like the quiet voiceover with this like rising music in the background, and I'll I I, I can't remember, I don't remember who does the music now because I think Sam Spence died um, several years ago. I don't know who does the music now, but it, like it still is keeping that spirit of Sam Spence alive. So NFL films yeah. music, fucking awesome. Hell yeah, dude! Like there's some really really fucking great shit on some of those um, NFLs. Like that particular item, and then also just like sounds of the nfl that you could like look up online like whether it's like or- orchestral compositions mm-hmm. stuff like that these are pieces of music that you and i have been familiar with for ever since we were able to basically watch football yep and they are things that are going to be associated with the game for a long fucking time to mm-hmm. come too definitely mine is um not a good movie but man the soundtrack was really good like angus 1995 the movie itself like I don't think is the best. I mean, it's got like a really good message and everything like that. And I don't particularly like it because I used to be a heavier set kid in high school. So I kind of, as much as I identify with some of that stuff, I don't really like watching it sometimes, but um, the soundtrack to this is fucking amazing. This is a uh, green days jar is the first song on the album. And it also is filled with these 
I guess like kind of pop punk bands that like, people I thought were going to like ride Green Day's coattails, but they never really amounted to much. Like there's a band on there called the Riverdales that has a song called Back to You. The Riverdales were a side project of Screeching Weasel. There's this band called Ash that's on the Anka soundtrack that has two songs, actually, Kung Fu and Jack Names the Planets. And uh, this band, like, you know, they're toured for a while, but they were just never like as big as Green Day. Like Weezer's on the soundtrack. Um, there's this band called Pansy Division, which was this punk band that was kind of coming up around the same time Green Day Green Day was. So for me, the soundtrack is a cool little throwback to the mid nineties and kind of like the bands that um, the bands that Green Day were supposed to break with them, but it just never happened. I have never heard of this movie before. Yeah, it's um you'll know some of the faces in it for sure. Oh um, yeah, the, the, I was I'm looking at I was I was just looking at the IMDb pitch. I swear to god I've never heard of this movie before. Yeah, it it came and went. Like this movie literally came and went with the soundtrack. So like in the time that this came out, this was 1995. So this would have been like summer spring 95, I think. Dookie came out in 94. Mm-hmm. So people were I guess kind of sort of wondering what Green Day was going to do next, even though Dookie came out in like February 94, like 16, 18 months before this movie came out. And Jar was the first non-Dookie single that Green Day released in between Green Day and in in between Dookie and Insomniac. Mm -hmm. And like radio stations all over the country were like, this is Green Day's new song. There were competitions. We're giving away tickets to see the movie too, all that kind of stuff. So like this movie sort of rode the wave of that song. And whenever that song wasn't as popular, or like basically like as Insomniac came out in late 95, that song had already kind of been pushed under and people had kind of moved forward um, to, to latch onto Insomniac mm-hmm. and the movie kind of, you know, the movie kind of like, you know, rode the, the same path as the, as, um, as Green Day's Jar did, but Green Day's Jar turned out to in the end become this really great kind of non-album track that they have. And Angus is this movie that just kind of lives with certain people, I guess. I, I, I'll have to take your word for it. I literally, like I was looking at it. I'm like, as soon as you said Angus, I was thinking of some. I really thought of a different movie entirely, and I, I'd, I'd never heard of this before. I don't no idea how. <laughs> yeah, until it came and went, dude. And this also would have been like, this would have been before we were like, we basically were hardly in junior high. So like these kinds of teen high school stuff, this just wasn't really our. Yeah. You know, I didn't go to the. Like, I saw the movie like a couple of years after the fact, but mm. I didn't, so, but like this wasn't something that. I was even rushing to the theater to go see. Gotcha. Like, like I, I heard the song, I got the soundtrack, I'm good. And I still have a CD copy of it, uh, I think, in um, our storage unit back in Ohio. Oh, so, nice. yeah. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to get into just a couple more questions before we get into the score. And I wanted to ask you, have you ever watched a movie with a bad soundtrack? And, like, can – I'll ask this question, too. Like, can a bad soundtrack, like, you know, kind of impact the way you view or um, the way your opinion is about a, a film? You know, like, I, I guess I'll say no, but it's really more of like I'm not exactly sure. Because, like, yeah. it, 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 I only have one example that really stands out as quote-unquote bad, but I think I think it's it's not bad, it's just goofy. Mm-hmm. And it, I think it was intentional. So, okay, there's this show on Sci-Fi called Helix that had um, Billy Campbell, um, 
and Hiroki Sonata were in it. Yeah. And um, it, like, there's a couple of different, like, there's a couple of, like, fight sequences in the first and second season. Um, or, like, one's a fight, one's a chase, whatever. And, mm-hmm. like, the music that goes along with it is, like, one at one point it's, like, disco-ish music. Yeah. Um, and it's, I don't think it's, and I think it's, I don't think it's, like, a song, I think it's a, sc- like, it's a score. Like, someone mm-hmm. made that song to sound like that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I don't think, it, I don't think it's, like, they just, like, bought a song from the 70s and put it in. Like, so to me that feels intentional when the score is like that. So yeah, I gotcha. I, I don't know exactly what they were. I mean, it, it's definitely, this show is definitely, since we just got done talking about B movies, this show was definitely BTV. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's real schlocky, kind of over the top, kind of fun at times or whatever. So it feels intentional, but it was still sort of like jarring during this like fight sequence to hear like fucking disco music, basically. Yeah. You're getting exactly where I wanted to go with this. Um, because me personally, I haven't, there's no soundtrack that I can say like, oh my God, it's so bad. And this, this soundtrack was so fucking awful that it ruined the experience of the movie. That's never happened to me. But I have noticed that there is a lot of soundtrack stuff that is very out of place. And I will go to one of my default examples, which is A Knight's Tale, which set in medieval times, but there is modern music to it. I don't really like when this happens. For some reason, I feel that like you could somehow figure out a way to make medieval sounding music loud and energetic. You don't need to have queen songs and all this kind of stuff in a movie that takes place back in the the medieval times and stuff, even if there is sort of some humor in the movie and everything. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I gotcha. It's, I mean, purposely, purposely anachronistic. Um, Right. But yes, I know exactly what you're saying. It's one of those movies I never ended up watching. Um, even though it was like clearly squarely aimed at like me at the time. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. I did. I watched it, um, a couple of years after the fact, but when that movie came out, like, yeah, that was basically like geared towards us stuff. Young Heath Ledger, Shannon Sossaman. Like, I mean, you just like that right there is like the early two thousands dream come true yep. right there. Like who, who didn't love Sossaman. And I actually met her one time. Um, very, very nice. Yeah. I met her at a convention that I worked at for Nerdbot and stuff. So like, I, I'm not a fan of that. Like, Wild Wild West would be like another example where like I know I believe me, I know that Wild Wild West is cartoony and stuff, but the soundtrack for that is just basically an excuse to give Will Smith another song. And the song that he made is very, very, very like inferior to the first Men in Black. Oh, song, which what, yes, not yeah. even close, not even on the same to to make a horrible pun, not even on the same planet. Yeah, right, right. And like even the second men in black song is nowhere near as good as the first one. So like, I, I'm not a fan of, of this kind of stuff. Like I don't mind when you watch like a Scorsese film, like taking raging bull, for example, and Joe Pesci is just whopping the shit out of this dude, blashing a car door into his head. Then afterwards they follow up with this very, very light and kind of melodic music meant to like juxtapose the action with the sound and stuff. Like to me, there's some creativity there, Mm -hmm. but I don't like the idea of, um, you know, just interjecting modern music into a, a classic something set in a more like classical period and stuff. Like I'm just not really like a fan of that. Correct me if I'm wrong. The, in, in one of the most, I think in the last season of game of Thrones, is there not a rock song at the end of one of the credits and the end credits of the episodes? Glad you brought this up. So game of Thrones decided there's actually a series of 
rock songs by various artists. Um, I don't think like it's popped up a few times throughout the course of the show's existence. And they brought in, uh, I'm going to pronounce I, this I, one way. Like if Sigur Ross did a version, the hold steady did the reigns of castle mirror. Like, yeah, I, actually, I, I, I've seen that before. I've seen those like jam sessions before that, uh, Weiss and Benioff did with everyone. And instead of paying attention to the show that they were in charge of, right, right. <laughs> um, but like, but I mean like, like literally like something happens and then like it goes straight into like a modern rock song, which I was like jarred by. It's gotta be there. I, I don't think I'm, landing the specific example like that you're referencing in my, in my mind or whatever, but it's gotta be there. I guarantee mm-hmm. it was fucking there. Like they probably thought of the idea to do this when they were jamming with everybody else and stuff for sure. Probably. <laughs> All right, dude. So let's actually get into the score and I'm pretty excited to ask you this question here. So recently like such artists like RZA, Johnny Greenwood, one with the X point never uh, Daniel Latane, basically Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross, even Tom York um, have scored successful films. What type of advantages do you think artists like this have over like, or in scoring a film over like a normal composer? You know, it's, it's a good question. And I don't, I don't know that I would necessarily say that they have an advantage, but I think, I think they're coming at it from a different perspective. And mm-hmm. because of because of the way technology has advanced so much, you know, we don't you, you don't need like, you know, if you're doing if you're doing the score for something, you don't need like a room full of, you know, you don't need a fucking session band anymore. Right. You don't need um, if you want to do orchestral stuff. It does it sound better with a full orchestra. Sure. But you don't need it. Um, right. So. So, you know, so these musicians coming at it from like a slightly different point of view can at least in some way replicate that sound. So they kind of have the tools that a John Williams would have, but mm-hmm. with their own unique sort of spin on it. Whereas if you if you rewind, you know, if you were to go rewind like 25 years and you had Trent Reznor score a film, it would essentially just be Nine Inch Nails music in the background. Like that's right. that's what it would be. And but yeah. now fast forward to when we have like the you know the better technology to to sort of, you know, to make it, you know, we just said the better technology to let us do certain things. You have stuff that is unmistakably Trent Reznor, but mm-hmm. does feel more like something that you would see in a movie. Yes. And I'm glad you brought that up because in Trent Reznor's, like, some of the earlier stuff that I've seen, like the, the, the social network, the social network in particular his musical stamp, you could definitely hear it on like a lot of the the music that is playing in the social network. Mm -hmm. Um, With Gone Girl, it's not, I only feel like you really get Trent Reznor's signature stamp, maybe only a handful of times in, in the movie and everything. And I feel that this is just a testament to the genius and professionalism that is Reznor here, where somebody who has this very unique industrial sound could just kind of turn it around and score like a Disney movie is just incredibly impressive to me. And I feel that like um, with Fincher, he probably has a little bit more like freedom to, um, to kind of be a little more resonary, but the fact that he has such versatility to jump around in all these different genres is just a really, it's just a testament to this guy's talent and everything. Yeah. I, I was, I was going to say like, if you didn't, if you didn't tell me 
that, um, or it, I should say, let me rephrase that. If I didn't know that Watchmen was scored by uh, Reznor and Atticus Ross, I, I don't think I necessarily would have known unless like I really sat down and listened to it, right. and and got you know got more of a you know got more of a not what you know what I mean not like watching it and then hearing the score in the background actually like sitting and listening to it then I would have picked up on it. Um, you can go back even farther. Um, so Reznor did the uh, original Quake theme uh video game yeah and yeah. like that's how that's what if that's what it would have been if trent Reznor scored a film in 1996 it would have been the mm-hmm. quake soundtrack yeah. yeah 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 i got you yeah definitely for sure and like he's just evolved so much and like what he's able to do for these movies is just, is just absolutely fucking awesome and stuff you know like there are some like tom york's score for suspiria i think is a little bit more on point with like what Tom York would make as a, as a solo artist or something, yeah. mm-hmm. but like his, but that, that's just like some early, I mean, who knows like what will happen in the future. Johnny Greenwood, for example, like I think he just kind of fell right on into the scoring game. I mean, this guy, like, you know, there's a couple of scores that he does that are a little more like obscure in terms of like the style of music. But this dude just like fell right the fuck on into it. And like his the score for um the score for the master and the score for the phantom thread, like while you know, kind of set in similar time periods, it almost like sound like two completely different scores. And it's just like it is just kind of like amazing to me how like somebody like him can just kind of fall right into it. But Tom York, who's also in like the same band has to kind of like evolve a little bit, you know, and like whatever, whatever the next score he does. And, you know, I'm sure it'll be available on a limited edition vinyl press and critics will obsess over it for a couple of days. But like, um, like Johnny Greenwood's work is just, it's just been um, infinitely more rounded and everything like that by comparison. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah, for sure. So um, what's, um, let's just give an example of another really great score for people to check out. Uh yeah, hold on. I, I I accidentally moved this question when I was copying and pasting stuff. Um, so a tremendous score that I I think um I think this score does a lot to add to the atmosphere of this particular movie, and it's one mm-hmm. that we watched uh recently. One that we watched recently. Um, and it's the score for Synchronic by the Album Leaf. Um, which I think the album leaf is actually just a single singular composer, but that's what he goes by. Um, mm-hmm. and it's on its own. It's, it's really interesting music. It's very eerie, but I think, um, I think paired with the paired with the visuals that we get from synchronic, I think it 100% helps with the atmosphere of that movie. Cause I, I think we, we kind of agreed of the Benson and Moorhead movies. That was like our least favorite. Not that it wasn't good. It was just our least favorite. And right. I think I think if it didn't have that kind of eerie, the kind of eerie, um, I don't know exactly how you describe it, but like this eerie sort of echoing score in the background, I think it would, I think it would have fallen a little bit farther behind resolution and and, and the endless even more so. Yeah, I'm telling you, the way that that music was atmospherically complemented everything that they were going for in that movie. It really mm-hmm. fucking worked in a good ass way too. And like you're, you're right, the album leaf. That's um, I think it is just a guy too. That's a that is somebody who like you know fucking tours and yep. everything like that. Like that's another cool like 
modern musician doing a film score and doing like a really, really great job of it and stuff for sure. Yeah. really helped out with a lot of things in that movie and, and in many ways helped synchronic, you know, kind of, have its own identity in the red flower trilogy and everything yep. like that for sure. I, I think and it's, like, I think just real quickly, like if, if that movie doesn't have that interesting, that interesting score and it's anyone besides Anthony Mackie and, um, and Jamie Dornan as the leads, like it's, it, it would be very forgettable. Oh yeah. Oh God. Yeah, dude. It, Definitely. It, it gets a yeah. lot of elevation from, from performance and, uh, and that soundtrack and that score. Yeah, those two are just a, a really unsexpectedly great pairing. We mm-hmm. did not expect them to have as much great chemistry yeah. as as they did and stuff. And my selection is actually sort of similar to yours in terms of atmosphere. And I'm going to my guy, Johnny Greenwood here. He did the score for this movie. It's a Joaquin Phoenix movie called You Were Never Really Here. It was directed by Lynn Ramsey as a 2017 movie showed a con and then Amazon bought it and, you know, became like a a fixture on Mm -hmm. Amazon and everything. Mm -hmm. The movie itself is it's it's okay i'm not going to say this is like joaquin phoenix's best performance but like it's it's definitely a role that he would take and in terms of the score it is just so different than any of the paul thomas anderson stuff that he's done like anything and it really fucking works dude it really works um with the, the setting of this movie and kind of like this dark underworld that this that this movie and joaquin phoenix takes us i, I was quite impressed with it and it was like i think he's right off of the phantom thread or maybe like two years removed from the, the phantom thread at this time so to make the artistic jump from the score of the phantom thread which is way more in line with like your typical movie score of orchestral compositions, piano Mm -hmm. stuff to this more like synth out spacey type thing. Like I I thought it was a very impressive jump. I have not seen, I have not seen this movie, but I will take your word for it. Johnny Greenwood is awesome. Like he's, he's awesome. He's the goddamn man for sure, dude. For sure. So last question in this um, little like section here, and you know, believe me, there's many, many songs to choose from, but if there was a soundtrack to your life, what three songs would be on the soundtrack? I I'm going to level with you here. I, I have three songs here, here for you. Um, I've never thought about this before ever. Like really not once. Um, I, I, I don't know why I would have, um, like, I, I really don't like, I've never thought about this before. So I picked three songs that sort of get at three different like parts of my personality, I'll say, and yeah. and three different parts of like my things that things of entertainment and music that interest me. So, mm-hmm. um, in uh, no particular order here, uh, I'm gonna uh, I'll no particular order. I will start with uh, White Zombies Thunder Kiss '65. Um, yep. It's I, I have I've always enjoyed White Zombie and then later Rob Zombie. And I think this mm-hmm. is one of his more underrated, one of the more underrated White Zombie songs off of um, uh, Lost Exorcisto, uh, Double Music Volume 1. Um, it's a, it, it's just something about this particular song just sort of like, I haven't, I, I heard it more recently um, when I was um, in preparation for this, because I was actually kind of hoping that you were going to do the hard rock metal question again. Mm-hmm. I was going back and listening to some old metal trying to find some new hard rock and metal bands to listen to. And I, I stumbled a, across this song and I was just like, man, White Zombie still fucks. <laughs> like, yeah. this song this song in particular still fucks, even though it's probably not quite as popular as 
um, you know, take your take your pick off of more recent stuff, stuff of off, off of Astro Creep 2000, or you know, as as Rob Zombie, you know, shed White Zombie and just you know was a solo act. Um, mm-hmm. So Thunder Kiss 65. Um, I'll, I'll I'll pivot to um, I'll pivot to my love of classic rock and especially sort of the I think you would. I think you would consider um, David Bowie early new wave, maybe the earliest new wave rock. Mm-hmm. Um, Life on Mars, uh, just yeah. it, it's it is it's one of those it's one of those songs that's just like I, I I've his rendition of it is is the finest for sure. But like I've heard multiple covers of this song, and it might just be the genius of the song. Each cover is great in its own way. It's almost like David Bowie created a song that he knew would be able to expand and change for different artists, no matter what genre they work in. Um, so Life on Mars is up there. And then I'll go with with my my nerdiness and the fact that I do love film scores and scores in general. Um, the Halo theme by Martin O'Donnell and Michael Salvatore. Um, yeah. Simply, I, I mean... We covered it, but when we covered like the when we covered Halo in the like the things that were just they're great for a reason kind of um, episode. Um, mm-hmm. This is the single greatest piece of video game music ever. Um, you, you might you might get some people you know talking about like, the Mario theme or whatever. Okay, um, I'll, I'll give it to, for a little bit of nostalgia, but it's it's the Halo theme is the greatest piece of video game music ever made. Oh, it's so amazing, dude. Is like even just what's coming into my mind right now is just taking me back to the days where like just me and my Xbox for like ever and mm-hmm. whopping on the flood and all that stuff and Master Chief and everything. Like people do forget that I was I was a big Halo guy for like a couple of years when mm-hmm. Xbox like first came out and stuff and I, I just Everyone was. Video, yeah, it was such an amazing fucking game. Yeah. And I love all of those goddamn selections. Thunderkiss 65 is going to be played at our wedding in some capacity. There you like, go. That is just that is a fucking classic. And like Life on Mars, I love that um, this song. Number one, I love the song, but like I do love that the fact that this song just gets used in movies in ways that are awesome, like whether it be Life Aquatic or whatever. Like mm-hmm. this, it's a really solid movie song. I've heard covers of it, and you're right. It's like this song that like David Bowie like gifted the world. That's just like no matter what you're going to do with it, it'll probably sound cool. It's it's like um <laughs> it's like Dolly Parton's "I Will Always Love You," like. Yeah, you can't fuck that. Like you cannot fuck that song up. You can only like make it awesome. Right, right, exactly, exactly. All really, really great selections, dude. I have three that are basically like supposed to cover just like my, I guess, evolution as to far as how I okay. listen to punk rock and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And I start off with Green Day. She easily the best, like. It's one of the best songs on the album. It's not my favorite, but it's one of the best ones. Um, this was also a song that I don't think that there's a video for, but it is still like like an unofficial single that gets radio play. Um, I think that out of all the radio songs that Dookie produced, she is the one that like I'm not sick of yet. Like I'm kind of over Basket Case. I'm over Longview. I was over Welcome to Paradise when it was popular. So like she is like the one Dookie song that still just kind of gets me going and everything. Excellent choice. Excellent choice. It's 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 such a great throwback Mm -hmm. from that uh, from that album. The next goes to my like time in like the uh, the earlier 2000s when um, I discovered At the Drive-In. At the Drive-In will go down as one of my all-time favorite bands. I just read this book about 
artists making the jump from independent to commercial and the at the drive-in chapter was just insanely interesting about all the stuff that like this band was supposed to kind of be lined up to do do you remember something called the digital entertainment network? It was like something that they were going to start. Like um, it was around the, like right around like the, the two thousands and stuff. They were getting ready to launch this new network. It's basically like all like kind of like internet style yeah. stuff. And mm-hmm. at the drive-in was going to be their lead band. Things just kind of flamed out from that. They have this song called quarantine, even though I hate that it's a, you know, we just basically had a quarantine, but the song quarantine is fucking awesome. Awesome. It's a solid, it's a solid goddamn banger. And then the last um, song that I had for this particular section is a little bit more of how I, it's a little bit more of a reflection of some of the punk that I listen to now, which is this genre called epic punk, which I've talked about fucked up on the podcast a lot. Yeah. Their song called the, the other shoe is a song that could easily be played at my funeral or whenever I'm driving around in a car of a nation I just conquered. Like this is the fucking song <laughs> that does it. Like this is gets you psyched up to go working out all that. There are like so many goddamn songs to choose from that I could have put on this list, but I kept it just really genre specific. And um, those are my three tracks for sure. Excellent. Very, very good. Um, and very on brand. Um, yeah, I dig it. Definitely. I dig it though. I, you know, I'm I'm glad that you are a person that likes punk. I'm I, like I like I like a lot of punk acts. Believe me, I really do. But like it's it's the ones that everyone's heard of. Like I like Green Day. I like the Sex Pistols. I like the Ramones. Like I'm not breaking any new ground there. So I I always appreciate when we do talk about music, getting like a new perspective on on the on the punk genre, something that I don't get that deep into. Yeah, I try, I try to keep it fresh. I try to kind of like pick up new bands whenever I can and stuff. It's a genre that I've loved forever. I'm currently in the midst of a major like yelling at the TV to this is so great television with the show Pistol that's on FX now. Um, believe me, the first episode, I almost gave up on it. And then I just decided to gut it on through and stuff. It's like just little genre of music that like, no matter what, I think I'm always going to have some kind of interest in. And, you know, like if they, if Danny Boyle follows up pistol with clash and then all this other stuff, I'll be in, I'll be there for those two. Gotcha. Gotcha. I haven't, is it, I've heard there's some, a lot of complaints about this pistol show, like right off the bat. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. It's um okay, like this is the best way I could describe it. Once you accept the fact that this is the direction that they're going with the show, like the kind of like the start of it all, like once you kind of accept that, then once you kind of accept the casting, some of the casting is good, but it takes a while for them to get there. Then once you kind of accept that some of this stuff is definitely bending the rules and creating, you know, stuff. Then also once you accept the fact that even though the writers have created a lot of stuff, you're still kind of watching like a Wikipedia page come to life. Then after that, it's kind of worth it. You You have to accept a lot of stuff. And like for me specifically, I'm particularly finicky about this because never mind the Bullocks is a top, 25 album of mine hands down like undisputed i I love that record so there are certain things in here that like i really do like i really kind of like seeing a dramatized version of this story i 
am kind of sort of like getting sick of like the Malcolm McLaren character who's played by the same actor who played Jojen Reed on Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. And like the only reason that I'm like this is because it seems like they're trying to like create a, a mythology about this band but I feel that like the band already has this mythology. So trying to associate. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So like, I would say that like, if you're, you're taking this whole thing and you're trying to like, I don't deny that Malcolm McLaren like wanted to create chaos and he wanted to create like a revolution, but I just don't buy the way that this version of Malcolm McLaren is going about it. It almost seems like he's too goal oriented for something that no one really knows what the hell they would do. And like, what are you going to create chaos? Like, okay, so you're creating chaos. Like what at, so after that, what, you know, and then he goes from like chaos creator to like brand branding and stuff. And it's like, it just feels like none of this stuff actually happened. It might've happened and I could be a hundred percent wrong, but it just feels like that they're really working to create something here when I don't feel that they that they need to do that. Yeah, I gotcha. It's um yeah. All right. Duly noted. Yeah, it's, um I'm, it's I'm gonna worth, end up watching it, but Yeah, it's worth watching. Like these are all just little stupid things that like bug me. You know, this is mm-hmm. like a, these are like really specific to me complaints. Like I'm sure some of the things that you've read online, like I will tell you that I I would probably share some of those things. But once you get beyond the first episode and once you also get beyond Johnny Rotten's audition, I guess, to get into the band, then it's golden. Okay. Okay. And the third the third episode is awesome. And the third episode, like, gives insight into this Sex Pistols song in like a really cool way. Chrissy Hind is, you know, throughout the show. I mean, there's a lot of great things to get excited about. I'm just kind of finicky about certain things. And like, just let me, there's a scene where Malcolm McLaren goes to court and I'm just like, this didn't need to be here. Like, I doubt this even happened. And like what you're going for here, it's just, it's not hitting with me. It's so I will, I will leave it at that. But um, I, where I am at the show now, which is episode I have episode five and six to watch. Um, I'm kind of excited to see what happens, even though episode five is seditious and I am not really a big, I think it's, I think he's just, it's a caricature that people obsess over for all the wrong fucking reasons. And then kicking the original basis out of the band was a huge mistake that even later they owned up to in 1996 when they brought the original basis back on tour. Right. So, right. Yeah. So Without getting into too much of a uh, Sex Pistols uh, tangent and everything, let's move on to our next um, category, which is what we did in the previous episode. And this involves like what I call subterranean genres, subgenres of popular stuff. And, you know, just like a, um, you know, so like our main genres would be like rock, hip, rock, hip hop, country, pop, electronic, you know, just like the, your boilerplate yeah. um, main genres. Right. That, and that, then that, covers, kind of that covers just about everything. Just about everything, right? Right. So, just got a couple questions about like some subgenres and everything. I'll go through these one at a time, and then I'll, I'll kind of respond to you, and then go with with mine, just kind For of sure. all at once and stuff. So, which um, out of the the subgenres um, 
which of the subgenres did you pick to discuss for today's episode? Well, first off, I'm glad we we kept this in from the last discussion because this was it, it's this is an interesting subgenre to talk about, I think. And I'm going with um, it has a couple different names, but like the main name of this subgenre is called retrowave. Sometimes it call, it gets called synthwave, or other yep. times it gets called outrun, which I'll explain. Um, you know, we, we'll explain that in a little bit why it's also called outrun sometimes. And this is a subgenre of the electronic music of of electronic music, and um, yeah. it's it, it's it's very interesting for a number of reasons. But I, I would say of of the and I'll just leave this here before you know we, we dive farther into it of the of the electro in the electronic genre of the subgenres this is the one that is sort of the in a lot of cases the least electronic mm-hmm. that's yeah oh yeah dude you get I know exactly where you're going with this yeah. and stuff and I could not agree more so when um what type of elements that are not typically associated with the main genre make this subgenre so unique. Well, I mean, so like that's like the so again, that's like the the first one that I that, that mm-hmm. I would point to the fact that it's I mean it's obvious electronic. There's there's I mean the name of it synthwave. One of the names for right. synthwave is right in it. So there's a lot of synthesizers involved. But unlike um you know unlike Daft Punk or Skrillex or you know pick pick a pick an electronic DJ DJ Shadow or someone of that nature, um they you know those those people are all working very much in a more traditional electronic sense much more software mm-hmm. computers um you know sure they might be you know, they, they might be actually using a turntable and cutting and stuff but it's much more it's much more digitized whereas um a lot of retrowave music is very analog so like mm-hmm. even though you do have some like hardcore djs like um kavinsky is a dj that, that you would consider retrowave i mean he's definitely using electronic you know he's using a, a software setup Synth, you know synthesizers it, it's definitely more electronic but you also have people in this genre like someone like um carpenter brute um mm-hmm. who is uh, you know while he does a lot of djing he's also a he's also um a music producer and in particular he's from france and in particular he's a music producer for a metal band called death spell omega and when he tours so a lot of his a lot of the elements that he uses in his songs are like metal metal elements and when he when he travels and does shows, he has an actual traveling band that comes with him. So like mm-hmm. there is actual you know there are actual people playing actual instruments in addition to the um, in addition to the production that he does. So like that's yeah. that is definitely like the main element. You know it's not quite as it's not quite as electronic driven as a lot of other electronic music. Um, mm-hmm. And then it, like I would I would also say like the next biggest element um, is when you when like the the, the sound itself. It's a little bit more simplistic and throwback to, I mean, realistically speaking, if you've ever seen a 1980s action movie, um, you have heard this type of music. It, it, this is the kind of music that would have been integrated into the score in the, it, certainly the 1980s, but even as far back as like the late 1970s. Um, it's it's that kind of, um, it, it's, it's, it's that kind of sort of bumper music almost in the background. It's just a little bit more simplistic and a little bit more purposely analog sounding. Yeah. Oh, definitely, dude. Yeah. Like this kind of genre, while in electronic, definitely does not go with the typical like um, tropes and characteristics Mm -hmm. that are associated with electronic music and everything. Like when you go with like Daft Punk, like what you're saying, you know, Daft Punk, you're expecting like a 
fucking loud, crazy goddamn beat that's going to hit you over and over again. Maybe some type of like vocal hook, something like that. But with this retro wave synth wave outrun, like it is not like that at all. Like there's sometimes there isn't even necessarily like a lead music hook to kind of tie everything Mm -hmm. all together. Like sometimes there is, sometimes there isn't, but then there's some songs that are just like, strictly atmospheric with like little tempos and textures and stuff like that, that are integrated into the overall track. Like it's not how there's no beat, there's no beat drops of immense proportions right. in these kinds of songs. Right. Exactly. Some, sometimes there are, sometimes they're not. I mean, it, it does retain a lot of the elements of electronic music, but then you'll get to a band like gunship who has, who has a lead singer, who has a drummer, who has a guitar player, who has a sax player, who has, has people who play, who play synthesizers and keyboards. Like that's a much more full. That's actually a much bigger band than most bands. Um, mm-hmm. That's a more full musical arrangement. And like the the lead singer, um, it's I I want to say they have one main lead singer, but then they also do like a lot of guests. They have a lot of guest singers dropped yeah. in. Um, yeah. So like I, like I know there's a woman that I can't remember her name right now who drops in on a lot of their stuff. Um, and it's it's definitely not you know like Daft Punk. Sure, there's lyrics in their song, but they're usually sampled. Or something like that. Right. Whereas, like yeah, Gunship, yeah, yeah. you have an actual person singing the entire time. Yeah, and that out of itself is like when it comes to like the you know like with the the Daft Punk stuff or whatever. Like even the lyrics that they would have in it, it's strictly like hook driven lyrics. Like yep. whether you're talking about um, what is it called? It's a not aerodynamic. It's a song I'm like I, I'm drawing the. It's like oh. number two on homework. I'm drawing a something love. I have infinite love or something. It's yeah. the second song yeah. on on a discovery. Actually, discovery. Sorry, mm-hmm. but like you know these um these types of lyrics and everything. They're like designed to be a backdoor like lead instrument that kind of like guide you and take you throughout the course of the beat that you're listening to and everything. And like whether like another prime example is around the world by Daft Punk. It's literally like the one phrase over and over and over again. But like this one phrase does act as the guitar or the the lead instrument or Mm -hmm. like the um, the guitar riffs, so to speak that like takes us through the mo- through the the music and hooks us in and stuff for sure. That's a really good way to put it. I like that. Like using using the you know whatever lyrics are present using them as sort of an instrument. Um I can like just a, a quick example it's um cuz I just listened to it today while I was working out um uh Zach De La Roca in um on his Run the Jewels track. Um yeah. where they use his voice, his his hook mm-hmm. essentially is like another instrument in the song. Yes, that is a great example of that. That is like that is using a, a voice as a musical instrument and it's at its best right there and stuff like that. It's literally sampled and mixed to have the same kind of thing over and yep. over again. And it fucking works and it works oh, yeah. awesome and that's one of the best songs on that album. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. So where did this subgenre originate? And if there's any artists that are considered to be like the pioneers, who would they be? It's, it's This is interesting because it's really hard to like pinpoint like one, you know, one or two originators. This, it, this seems to be something that sort of gets handed off to a lot of people um, and, and sort of evolves. You know, I know that's an easy, I know most music is like that, but like literally Black Sabbath started metal music. Like it's, like you could you could point to them as like they started metal music right. like they're they're the ones who started the sound, 
Um, this is a little bit harder to pin down, but you can you can at least trace some of the earliest um, some of the earliest um, version of this music back to I guess it wouldn't be necessarily called retrowave at the time since it was like happening, um, mm-hmm. but you can trace it back to John Carpenter. Um, yeah. one of our favorites here that we've talked about extensively and I'll never tire about talking about, um, John Carpenter, obviously, um, you know, scores, scores most, I mean, he scored most of his own movies. Um, and I think it was just a happy coincidence of the, the budgets that he was working with at the time and the technology. It, mm-hmm. it made it necessary that like, okay, so I'm, I'm not going to be able to afford like a, a, you know, a whole band to do this, you know, to do the the score for Halloween. So what can I do? I can right. afford a synthesizer and some, you know, synthesizer, some other, you know, simple instruments, and we can go from there. And not that, not that the, not that the Halloween theme is like the originator of this, but that's like one of the best, maybe the best early example of like what would be, you know, the first shaping of the retrowave genre. Um, mm-hmm. So it starts. So you could. So let's just say it starts essentially in that time period, potentially with John Carpenter. But I'm sure there was a lot of other people doing this type of music at that point in time um, that we just don't know about. Yeah. Um, oh, dude, I would give like when it comes to something like this, like Carpenter is such a prominent name and such a prominent contributor to like this particular genre and stuff like that through his work in films that, like, I have no problem calling him the originator, and I, I'm sure that whoever was the originator of this type of music it's it's something that is just way over my head like yeah. I, I have no idea exactly or just someone like we literally have never heard of i mean like literally if, there's no way you'd ever hear about them um but so carpenter is let's just say for the you know for this argument is one of the originators certainly one of the earliest working with this um who is a po- you know a popular figure in pop culture um and then we we get to we get to obviously to the more 1980s movies but it actually, this sound really kind of takes a, a more focused turn in the 1986 video game where it gets, um, where uh, you can also get the, this subgenre also takes another name from, and the video game is Outrun. And um, if you if you go ahead and sit down and pop on the soundtrack of Outrun, it's again, a little bit more, uh, an even more simplistic style of, of retro wave, but you can definitely hear where um, more modern, where more modern artists are taking the sound from. And then fast forward just a little bit farther, um, you get to GTA Vice City um, in terms of video games, and that sort of further solidifies um, further solidifies this sort of the, the video game influence in this particular genre, and it even crystallizes the sound even more. Like the the soundtrack, not just not the songs, not all of the songs necessarily in GTA Vice City, but like. The ambient soundtrack mm-hmm. is also very, very in line with Outrun and very in line with John Carpenter. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean when you're saying that. And like, yeah, that is the description to the T, basically, and stuff. And like, you can hear this style of music like prominent in, or prominent in like, whether it be the Halloween, Christine, or even the noise that the Cosmic Key makes in Masters of the Universe. Mm-hmm. But like, this was all over like the 1980s and stuff like that for sure. And like this little kind of um, rebirth that we had of this genre, which like I, I, for me could easily start at, um, it could probably start somewhere maybe around like neon Indians first album and stuff like in that area. And then little artists and stuff like that along the way have come along like calm trues and maybe even Ratatat to a certain degree. But like the, um, but like this, the style has been around for a long time and 
as technology advances and as people become more and more um, intertwined with digital music, like, I mean, there's literally like the possibilities for this genre to grow are, are endless. Oh, for sure. I mean, if, if like, you know, obviously I'll, I'll, I'll throw out some artist names here, like right now. Um, like I, I've already mentioned Carpenter Brute, um, who in fact takes um, his, his stage name from John Carpenter. Um, mm-hmm. So like Carpenter Brute's a pretty prominent one. Um, I've already mentioned Gunship. Um, and Kavinsky as, as prominent ones, but also, um, <clears throat> excuse me, um, Ghost is, as, as um, Ghost is, we actually used the song for one of our intros to the Christine um, episode. Yep. Um, Ghost is a, is a very prominent one. Again, like a guy that was um, in a metal band before he, he jumped to this particular genre. Um, mm-hmm. Makeup and Vanity Set, someone that we've talked to, that we talked about last time around, um, and we've talked about previously, um, a composer that, does this does this particular genre of music much in the same way of John Carpenter? Um, mm-hmm. So like there's you know so there's there's a lot of variety there, but there's so much variety that you've probably heard it without realizing it. The, yeah. Um, the weekend's 2020 album After Hours is filled with retrowave music, mm-hmm. filled with it. Um, so like it's it is it has made its way to the mainstream. You probably just you know not you but like people out there listening probably didn't realize that's what you were listening to. Right. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. Because this is one of those things that, um, you know, not a lot of people like know about this kind of stuff, not even know about it as like a genre of music. They probably hear it and they're like, oh, my God, that sounds like the Cosmic Key for Masters of the Universe mm-hmm. or whatever. Like they don't actually know that it's a genre. And this type of music is, you know, when when artists like The Weeknd and like really popular artists start to latch onto this, like, you know, that is just another sign that in this time period that this genre can only get bigger. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. I, I think that's very, all I have right nuts. there. Fucking love it though. I love, I, I'm, I'm a, I am a big fan of this particular genre and, um, I'm, I, I made a point to, uh, when you updated the, when you updated the outline for this, I made a point to like, all right, don't just totally bog down the lifting, um, the lifting part with just yeah. like, just pick one. We'll be okay. Right. Right. <laughs> I gotcha. I totally gotcha, dude, for sure. And I'm going to pick up um, right where you left off and similar to the re-record where I'm going to be talking about Grindcore. Love and it. <laughs> my fucking God, I'm still listening to it after all this time. Like I, I listened to an album by this band called Full of Hell earlier today. And like for those who don't know, Grindcore would be a subgenre of metal, which is a subgenre of rock is in accordance with the, the categories and stuff Mm. that I set. And what grindcore does is it takes elements of heavy metal and hardcore punk and kind of combines them together. Now I will say that, um, it is more towards metal than it is punk. And it was even more interesting is that hardcore is moving more in the direction of metal than, um, than it was with punk. Like when, when I was younger, you had bands like Black Flag, you had H2O, mm-hmm. you had Bad Brains that were like hardcore, hardcore adjacent that were definitely more in the vein of punk. But now bands like Gulch and Nails are these hardcore bands that are leaning more in towards metal than it is punk. So Grindcore is by far and away 
leaning more towards metal than it does um, punk and everything. And so I would basically describe the genre as like the most metal as fuck songs mm-hmm. that only go for like <laughs> two minutes long. Okay. And you could get uh, everything from one second, like the Napalm death song that we had talked about all the way up to like, maybe like a three minute long song. And even at three minutes, you're, you're kind of pushing it a little bit there. You might as well just be a metal band. If you're going to write a song mm-hmm. over through three minutes long. So I, um, in terms of some of the elements that are not typically associated with the main genre. So like, There are all different types of metal and definitely all different types of rock. But what stands out in particular about this is definitely the track length. I would say the aggressiveness of the music is by far and away the most aggressive form of metal in terms of like, I think overall, like punchiness. You're going to find a lot of bands out there that have really, really hard guitar riffs and stuff. I mean, Pantera's still got hard guitar riffs and, you know, they've been around, they've been around forever. Metallica's got like hard ass guitar riffs, but this is like the most like in your face version of like metal. It's like taking everything about metal and turning it up to like 400 and then adding some kind of like unusual stick to it too, whether it be blood and guts, the devil, whatever the hell it is. So I would say that um, the, the things that are not commonly associated with metal that are associated with grind chord, basically like the time, I'd probably say some lyrical content. And, um, and that's basically about it. A lot of some of the imagery, all this stuff kind of runs the same, even though I'd say grind core is a little bit more on the extreme side, but the, in general, like um, the, the length of the songs and kind of the, 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 the overall, like kind of metalness of the songs is definitely standout-ish from the overall genre of metal. Now, in terms of... Uh, Chema, real quick, real yeah. quick, I would add to it as well that it, it seems to be sort of like a, um, I don't know, badge of honor to have the most ridiculous fucking name too. Yes, that is true. Yes, They're this insane. Is, this is going to be one of the only genres out there where the crazier the name is, the better the band yep. can be. And I got some I got some examples to go through oh, here perfect. in a little bit for sure. You know, I went online and looked up some more extreme versions than some of the ones I gave uh, last time around. <laughs> nice. So, okay. So, like, in terms of where the, the genre originated and any kind of pioneers of the genre, what's interesting is that for a lot of these newer bands being American, this is really a British concept. Now I'm sure there are a bunch of grindcore truists out there that may want to argue the the fact of the later part of the seventies, when this genre was really not nothing more than just people in their houses or whatever, if they want to say it's from America, I'm not going to argue with you, but for my own personal stance, I believe this starts in Britain with Napalm death and then just kind of grows from there. And Napalm Death's first couple albums are absolutely fantastic, and they are literally definitive examples of what this whole thing mm-hmm. is about. A absolute fuck ton of songs on a um, on an album, and the album itself only goes like 30 minutes long, if that. So like Napalm Death kind of started it. There are these. There's this other band, Terrorizer, from from back in the day that also kind of like aided and aided this genre but i would say that napalm death is is where it starts mm-hmm. it's just my own personal take on the um on the subgenre and so to give you guys a couple of names of these great bands to uh 
to kind of look up on your own time. All right, so I'll start off with um, what I believe to be is my favorite one. It's called Success Will Write Apocalypse Across the Sky. That is usually like one of the best mm-hmm. band names ever. Mm-hmm. So I love that. Um, like I said, Terrorizer, this band called Misery Index is really good. Discordance Access is a phenomenal name. And then these are like, these are the names that of grindcore bands that this is like really what the genre is all about here. So Cattle Decapitation, and boy do they fucking lean into that like you would not believe like when your albums are called humanure and um corrosion of terror or something like corrosion of terror or something like mm-hmm. that i mean the, the and the album covers are everything and then some like that you could expect them to be we're talking blood and guts and people being led into like the, the, the freaking slaughterhouse. Like, I mean, they really lean into that. Um, there's another band out there called fuck the facts, which I happen to uh, enjoy that, that name a little bit. And there's a lot of people out there. It's kind of the theme of the last couple of years for people. I wouldn't be surprised if this band's got a lot of, um, random recent, like, uh, listens on Spotify because there's just all these people out there saying, fuck the facts. I do what I want. <laughs> um, there's a band out there called blood duster, I happen to love the shit out of that. Another band called Bathtub Shitter, which doesn't get any better than that as far as I'm concerned. And then the last one, which I got a kick of, is called Fuck Pig. F-U-K-P-I-G, all one word. Nice. Nice. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, these these names are so fucking awesome. There is no way, like, I I don't think there's any other genre of music where like you can name your band something and like it so easily evokes what you're going for, you know? What yeah. I, you know what I mean? Like I don't know like there's a rapper that can name himself the most rappery name. No, not at all. There's not a fucking chance in hell. And like because I almost feel that like if a rapper were to name himself the most like rappery name, he would almost be like viewed as cliche. But like yeah. here, it's like it's like welcomed and stuff. You know what I'm saying? There are people out there that are just like. Oh, cattle decapitation. Oh, that's very interesting. Was human decapitation taken? Like, like what? The, like, what were you guys' second options here? Tell us. You know that kind of right, stuff. right. Why did you settle on circle of dead children? <laughs> right, I know. Like, was circle of dead animals taken? Mm-hmm. Like, how did you get to where you are today? Please give us all the details. So, like, this whole thing, like, you know. You got to buy into it. A lot of this shit is like comical and stuff. To me, I think it's funny. I'm sure there are a bunch of like suburban parents out there that would be terrified at some of these album covers and stuff. And, you know, rightfully so. This might not be for them. But like I view the whole thing as being just extremely tongue in cheek. Like, I mean, when you see a lot of these bands like and they do interviews and stuff, these people are normal guys. They even admit to it. You know, Mm -hmm. they're just like this whole thing is an experience. Like there's this band called from Cleveland called Queen of Hell. And when you go see them, they dress up in costume. They embrace the whole thing. They talk in their character names and stuff like that. So it's real. like the Slayer is the same thing. Like people think it's all Slayer and devil, all this shit. The guy is like a devout Catholic. He's probably the most like strict Catholic that's ever been Catholic Catholicized or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, so the fact that this kind of music exists out there and the fact that they lean into it so hard, it just makes me so goddamn happy, you know, because you might, if you're going to have a sense of humor about it, you can have a sense of humor in many ways and having a dark twisted humor sense of humor sometimes is totally, totally worth it. Yeah, dude, that it's, that's, that, I think that's the best way to put it. It's, it's a lot of, it's a, it's dudes who like to rock out hard, but are all in on the same joke. Like yeah. all these bands, you know, they're all in on the same joke. And it's, and it just, 
it makes it that much better knowing that this isn't serious, but it's still fucking loud and like aggressive as fuck. I know it does. Like if it was serious, I would recommend help immediately, <laughs> but, 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 it, but it's just not that, you know, and it's just this really unusual. And the more and more that I think about it and the more and more that I listen to this music, I'm just like, it makes sense that somebody thought of this. Like oh, for sure. It definitely does. Like metal was going to get here eventually. For sure. I mean, and, and like, I think you already had like hints of it, um, you know, with like the, um, oh gosh, I'm, I'm trying to think of the, of the metal band, like Steel Panther, not Steel Panther. Um, fuck, there's a, there's a metal band from like the early 80s and like their whole thing was like they were the loudest metal band. Like they broke, des- you know what I mean? Like they broke decimal yeah. records and shit. And I, I think I think in a genre like metal, in a subgenre like metal, you it's it kind of leans, it kind of leads itself towards like if you go too far to a point, you are going to be very comical. So why not right. lean into the joke anyway? Yeah, go into it as far as you possibly fucking can, mm-hmm. because somebody else will. That's yep. for sure. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. So that brings us to the last section of the episode, which is never mind the critics. Here's what we're lifting to. Love making workout playlists. So for this section here, we're going to choose five songs. We're going to put them on the Occasionalist Mega Workout Mixtape Volume 2. And, of course, you know, we could always go back and add more just like oh, we did sure. with the, uh, the first one and everything. So let's um, let's just go just name off your, your five and I'll, I'll do the same. All right. Well, I'll start with um, I'll start with my Retrowave song that you should they should pop on. I think it's I think it's a good way to get um, to get to get the workout started. Like it's a good warm up song. Good pace yeah. to it, not too intense, but intense enough. And it's uh, it's a song called "Death Laser" by Makeup and Vanity Set. That um, it's again, it's intense, but not too intense. I think this is a good song to start your workout with. Very good, nice. Um, do you, do you just want me to go five in a row? Yeah, go five in a row, dude. Okay, sure. so I'll I'll bring back an artist that I mentioned before, but now I have translations for it. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, I talked yeah. <laughs> about I talked about Oxymiron last time, a Russian rapper. Um, and, uh, I talked about his, the song that I sent you and the song that I talked about before, um, and actually that I was actually able to record, um, and got into one of our sound clips. The song is called the book had it different. Um, okay. and it was a single from like 2015. Uh, he released an album in 2021 called beauty and ugliness. And this is sort of like a, um, this song that I'm going to pick is sort of like a, I don't know, uh, a chant a little bit. Um, and the song is called, uh, the song is called Russian road rage. Nice. And it's it is kind of what you think about it, and it it actually works out. It actually says Russian road rage in English, I guess because there's no direct translation for road rage in Russian, but whatever. Uh-huh. Um, but it's it's just it's just a heavy beat, and then you just hear him punctuate that heavy beat with Russian road rage. Um, and if that that is that's the song you want to pop on when you are about to like bench some heavy weight or something like that. Yeah. So there you go, Oxymiron, um, Russian road rage. I'm going to go to a real quickly here. I'm scrolling through to find it. Um, Where the fuck is it? I just listened to it. Oh, here it is. Um, I'm going to go to a, um, a good song that you, that you want to do for like a longer set. Um, It's, it's intense, but it'll kind of, it's intense, but it's not too intense and it's got a good beat to it. It's something like when we did like our 50 rep challenges, Mm -hmm. this is the kind of song you want on for your 50 rep challenge. And it's Generator by Doomtree, uh, nice. the Minnesota, the Minneapolis rap collective that has like fucking 20 members in it. Um, 
But um, I, but generally speaking, I think they're at any point in time, Dune Tree has like about five actual members. But like, there's a ton of people that guessed on it. Um, so there you go, Generator by Doom Tree. Song that I brought up last time that it's kind of like a kind of like a war chant, and I know I now remember where I heard this song from. It's in the it's in the um, it's in the first or second no first episode of Reacher. Um, oh, okay. With Alan Richson. Um, and it's Line em, Line 'em Up by Low Pass Lushes and First Class off their album Sincerely Y'all. And it's kind of like this heavy war chant that nice. um that starts off. And it's it's got like a real real bass filled sort of rap song that um th- that this one it'll it'll get you pumped up for basically anything. So yeah. that's Line 'em Up by Low Pass Lushes and First Class. And then I'll I'll wrap it up with um, let me find it one more time. I should have just written these out instead of leaving my window open like an idiot. Um, I'll wrap it up with a fun, uh, a fun high, like a fun lyrically high paced, um, vocally high paced rap song, uh, by the duo idea and abilities. I don't know if you're familiar with idea and abilities. Are you? I have not. That's an awesome fucking name though. Idea and abilities idea spelled E Y E D E A. Um, uh, and the song is called now and ideas. So idea overdosed in like 2009 or 2010. So they haven't mm-hmm. obviously they've, they've had some stuff released that was unreleased previously, but like they haven't made anything obviously in like 12 years. Um, but ideas sort of thing for, first off, they're a very cerebral rap group. Um, like no doubt about it. Like their um, their first album is heavy to say the least. But yeah. when they want to, they can bust out a fucking bop, like for sure. And now is a good bop, but like ideas kind of thing is that he is a really excellent speed rapper. And this dude breathlessly raps for about like 45 straight seconds at one point. Oh, nice. And it gets faster and faster and faster. And it's pretty unbelievable how he can keep that going just in like in, you know, in one I've seen one breath, but he can keep that going unbroken. It's pretty amazing. So it's Dude, now by idea and abilities. That kind of stuff is so goddamn impressive to me. Like these speed rappers and shit who could really fucking cook. That is like a whole other goddamn skill set. You know what I mean? It's like as if you could rap, which already takes like enough talent as it is, but to do it that way. And like, I mean, I've heard flows that go on for like 10 seconds and it's like, it's a fucking piece of art, but for like 45 seconds or whatever, anything over 30 is that is something that I will line up to check out for sure. It, it's pretty, any, any, it's pretty nuts. Cause it gets starts, he starts into it and then it's just faster and faster and faster. And fa- like, it just keeps going. It's nuts. Dude. Great selection. I, I got doom trees, no Kings. I was rocking that out for the longest time. Nice. They're a very impressive fucking rap group and everything. And, um, I am, very very interested to uh check out this i ideas and abilities Goddamn, that that is i love that name that is a fucking awesome name so that is something i'm going to be checking out asap it's <laughs> idea and abilities is fantastic um they're i, I they only have three i, I want to say they only have three full albums and then like the album that came out in like 2011 um gosh what the hell is it called let me look it up real quick grand six cents i think that's like previously unreleased stuff like it's not yeah new new um yeah but their first album Firstborn, that is some heady fucking shit like it, nice. it's it's a great 
it is a great album to just flip on and kind of think about things legitimately. It's great. Oh, that's like, I love stuff like that. I'm going to be, I'm literally, I'm going to be checking this out like later on tonight. Like I'm very excited to uh, hear this kind of stuff for sure, dude. I love the cerebral heavier stuff, shit that's different and everything. Like it's, there's a place in my heart for music like this. Oh, for sure. Hell yeah, dude. So I'm going to ran off my five really quick here and I'm going to start off with, um, song just to kind of get you going. Jay-Z's moment of clarity from 2003 is the black album. Very nice. I, I fucking love the hell out of this goddamn song. This to me is like what every goddamn rap song should be. And the way that, um, the way that this beat carries the song, it is like one of those combinations of like, like electronica and like rock coming together in all kinds of perfect ways. And like, it's got a really great buildup to it and stuff. And like, I am just all about this. Like this is one of those tracks that will just kind of easily set the tone for a solid, solid workout. Uh, Next is going to be a newer song. Actually, this is the newest song out of my selections. I had to put this in there because the new horror album is fantastic. It really starts off the way that, um, that it's supposed to, and then kind of becomes, um, the, it starts off hard, gets crazy for a little while in terms of like just some of the shit they talk about, it slows down and then it just kicks off in the end. The song is track number two on the album called batteries, not included. This song is a fucking rager. This one basically picks up where street power from the, um, one of the earlier releases just picks off where this left off. This is the type of song that every single fucking song in this genre should be like, this is just hard, aggressive in your face, rap, rock, punk rap, whatever you want to call it. And they're, they're literally just only evolving in the better. So horror is a fucking awesome band. Uh, The next selection is going to be a little bit of a throwback here. We're going back to 1998. I mentioned uh, this group in the the previous recording that no one will hear, and it's they're called the Flies. Um, they had this song called Holiday Man. It is the exact opposite end of the spectrum from their hit single "Got You Where I Want You," mm-hmm. and this is one of those ones that if this band was po- if this band would have come on gone on to become popular and stuff, and which I just don't ever think that this is really in the cards for them. Um, especially because there's something new now and it's not the whole band. It's just a couple members of the band are in something new, but the holiday man would be a song that is played at sporting events around the world to get the crowd, the crowd riled up. Like this would easily be a, um, a, like they're from Southern California. So this could easily be like the, the Lakers or the Padres like entrance music. It's got a really awesome bass riff. And then, it just kind of kicks in and gets you going. It's a very up-tempo, um, up-tempo number. And another interesting factoid about this band is um, there are two brothers in the band named <clears throat> Adam and Josh Paskowitz, who are sons of a guy named Doc Paskowitz. And this Paskowitz family is considered the first family of surfing, believe it or not. There's actually a Wikipedia entry called The First Family of oh, Surfing. Oh, no shit. And, yeah, and these guys um, – Doc Paskowitz and his wife, they had nine kids and they raised the kids in a rather like hippie-esque kind of lifestyle being on the road, you know, mm-hmm. not like the like kind of minimalist and everything. And they were homeschooled and basically surfing was a part of their better yourself kind of teaching. Like they get better through surfing. And these guys um, claim to fame was they donated a shit ton of surfboards to a town in Gaza and like just kind of 
teach these people peace through surfing, I guess. So that was a really interesting uh, no factoid and never really considered there to be a first family of surfing. But then again, like surf culture is something that even though for being out here in Southern California, just haven't totally got there yet. There's a lot more other stuff to kind of embrace before I, you know, go full bro and I'm at the beach at six o'clock I mean, in the morning every day. Yeah, it's it's such as it's even though um, it's such a present part of pop culture, it's still a very narrow part of pop culture. Yeah, like, it's 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 not like I mean, think about it. First off, you have to have a area to surf. Right. Whereas most people in this country do not. Even even Correct. people who live on the coast might live in a spot that's not great for surfing. So it's it's, it's such a small um, slice of pop culture, even though it's a very its footprint is let's put it this way, its footprint is way bigger than like the actual number of people that participate in it. That's true. That is exactly true. And like for as big as the surf culture like is out here, I mean like when you go to the beach there's people doing it, but it's not like everybody's doing it. So this mm-hmm. is even like a, a subculture of beach culture and stuff yeah. like that. And like, I'm very intrigued to, to like learn how to do it, but I, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't got the time. <laughs> like I just don't have the time to, you know, get on the wetsuit, go walk down to the beach every day. Like I just, uh, as great as a lifestyle as this sounds, maybe something when I'm older. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. Two more. And the uh, second to last one is um, one of my more recent favorite bands of all time against me. Their 2000 album, Transgender Dysphoria Blues, is a fucking classic. This is by far and away one of the best recordings that has come out in the last 10 years, maybe even the last like 20 years, if I want to get technical about it. Mm -hmm. The last song on the album is called Black Me Out. This is one that's just going to get you going. You probably will want to run through a wall by the time the whole thing is done. Please do not do that. But if there is ever a song that is going to get you fired up to do it, this is one of those fucking songs. And this is just like, this is like Laura Jane Grace really fucking putting herself out there. And like, you really can, you really feel this deep emotional connection to this album as it, as, as from track number one, all the way to the goddamn end. But the way that this album closes with black me out, it is just like the perfect closer closer for this audio experience that one would have through transgender dysphoria blues. It's it's a fucking, it's a, it's a goddamn anthem. And then the last one, man, this is, it's rage against the machines, the ghost of Tom Joe, the Bruce Springsteen cover. I will tell you, dude, my entire life, up until recently, particularly with the, the Run the Jewels collaboration, I've sort of been take it or leave it on Zach Della Roca. Yes. Like there, yes. there wasn't really he's a great front man, but like for some reason I don't gravitate towards him maybe in the way that I would gravitate towards other frontmen and rock stars and stuff like that. And in terms of like, I, I will always go back to this and just like, obviously rage is set to come back now, but there is a lot of time in our lives where rage against the machine was needed in particularly like, you know, 2016 to 2020, maybe even like through the Bush years and stuff, you know, there's, I, I kind of feel that there were times where rage should have been there for us and, and wasn't, but this is just my own like stupid take on the whole thing. And because of this, I've, there's a certain like illegitimacy cloud that kind of hangs over 
the band and stuff. It's like, got everything in the world to rage about. Where the hell are you? Mm -hmm. And and in recent years, um, especially since they've announced the reunion, I've kind of let go of that hostility. And I've tried to kind of embrace rage a little bit more for what they are. And it's actually weird because since Zach has done Run the Jewels, I've gained a whole lot more respect for him. Whereas the other members of the band, I'm like, were you guys trying to cash out on the Prophets of Rage thing and stuff? Like, you know, you guys could have called it anything else other than Prophets of Rage. But um, so it's just like, it almost seems like the other guys, which I mean, I would do it too, latch on to the Rage Against the Machine brand. Yeah. But with the Ghost of Tom Joad, this is like one of the only Rage Against the Machine songs that I look at Zach De La Roca singing this and I'm like, okay, I buy it. Like I buy it. Like there's this, the, the song basically wraps up with this, um, epic and by far and away, like the best song. It's not the, like the last 30 seconds. It's kind of the thing that guides you to the end where Zach De La Roca is like screams, like you'll see me over and over again. And it's like, the vocal buildup to it is like, Oh, whenever you see this, like in, in ju- insert injustice here, whenever you see this, yeah, it's, it's, from, it's from the grapes of wrath. Yes, exactly. Yes, yeah. the ghost of Tom Joad was yeah. the, the character in John yeah. Steinbeck's book. So um, when he is giving off these lines and then he breaks into the big, like, you'll see me kind of um, second chorus of the song, this is like where I'm like, I could buy into this. And I'm like, if every song was like this, I think I never would have had any issues with like Zach Della Roca. But for some reason, like I could, the whole like anti-government, fuck the rich people shit that he kind of aligns himself with this is the only song where i actually believe it like everything else for some reason like yeah i mean i guess it's cool but this is the one where i'm like yeah he's actually going to do it like this will be the guy that actually shows up and and takes a, a stance like on the fighting grounds not just from the stage so the song is amazing it made me a believer in um in, in rage again and it is by far and away a song you are going to want to have on a workout playlist for sure for sure um de la roca's um he had a he had a, a solo project with i want to say someone that was involved with the mars volta but I uh, one day is one day, one day is a lion. lion yes it, it was um it's it's somebody from the volta i think it was like the drummer or something possibly like that. i think you're right and like not bad like it, it's not bad but it's very clear that like well, to use a sports term that De La Roca is a system quarterback that mm-hmm. he needs to be in the right band and right. with surrounded by the right talent to make it work. Cause he's not, he's not Michael Jackson breaking away from the Jackson five. He's <laughs> right. He's not, he's not Rob zombie shedding white zombie to become Rob zombie. Like it's, he just can't like, maybe not the best comparison, but you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I think you're right in line with this whole thing. Like, the raging as the machine itself is a package. Everybody mm-hmm. in there is a package. And like for as talented as Tom Morello is and as great as audio slave was audio slave was also a package. Like yep. none of these people I feel for as much talent as they have can really stand on their own two legs. So they kind of all like need each other and they feed off of each other to make this great music. And mm-hmm. You know, when you see that, like Morello and everybody else goes meets up with Chris Cornell and forms Audio Slave, which pretty fucking rocking project. Mm-hmm. Oh, very like, good. And then like Zach is kind of lost in translation for years, and then there's One Day as a Lion, which just after all this hype released five songs, and then like kind of fades away. 
it's it's like it makes what you're saying here and what we're talking about like just that more prominent is mm-hmm. that like you know these guys to get the best of themselves really need to be together yeah for sure for sure i mean even what what was morello's solo project the night watchman or something oh, yes it was yeah okay <laughs> yeah that came and went yeah i know he's, he's got tom morello as an artist too like I wouldn't have even known about that unless I unless I was researching Fantagram and I found Fantagram made an appearance on one of his songs. Okay. So like, yeah. So that it's just it is just one of those things that certain bands are better together than they are apart. And Rage might be like the defining band mm-hmm. of our generation that is way better together than they ever would be apart. For sure, I very well put. Very well put. Hell yeah, dude! And that brings us to the conclusion of the music appreciation re-record yep we are done oh dude i forgot to hit record oh shit oh god damn <laughs> oh god damn <laughs> I was about to say i'm like man we might have to really change up the this discussion for the next time around <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> um god i shouldn't have joked about that but at the same time i really couldn't help myself no. Um, now we did the damn thing though. Um, and we added about 45 minutes to it as well. So, yeah. um, but uh, excellent discussion. I'm glad that we had a chance to, to go back and do this again, because like the first discussion was, was really great. Like, unfortunately I'm an idiot. Um, but I'm glad that we had a chance to redo it. Yeah, me too, dude. Definitely. So go ahead and take us on out of here for sure. All right. Uh, everyone, thanks for tuning in once again, this April or whatever month it happens to be. I'm not entirely sure. Um, for this, for this lost episode, um, of Appreciation April, uh, it, it was a lot of fun to, to finally sit down and, and do this again. Uh, but thanks everyone for downloading, listening. You can find The Occasionalist on, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, um, you can find us on Spotify, hit us up on Facebook, make fun of us there, um, leave us a nasty review on, on Apple Podcasts, as long as you give us five stars, I don't care. You can call us whatever you want. Um... <laughs> Do all that stuff and obviously follow us um, on social media at Polish Kaiju and at Citizen Pegs. Um, you'll be able to fill where you'll figure it out, uh, the, the spacing and everything else. Um, and uh, for Adam Chemelewski, this is Matt Pagel saying we will see you next time.